This episode is brought to you by Avalanche, the layer one that is blazingly fast, low cost, and eco-friendly. You'll hear more about Avalanche later in the show. Maybe I'm the anomaly. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Oh, okay, boy. Is, is framework hiring? <laughs> We're looking for interns. <laughs> all right. I'm looking, okay, great. We're together. All right. All right. Court or, uh, court is in order. Court is in session today. We are kicking this off. We have Vance, Michael, Michael, and Santiago, and we are talking about creator royalties, the biggest thing going on in crypto. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to FTX and Binance, obviously. Uh, brought a bunch of smart fellas to the table today. Um, here's, here's what I want to do. I want to... I want to really quickly go through just like a brief history of Alameda and FTX uh, and their kind of alleged relationship. And then I want to go through a timeline of events. And then I want to spend the bulk of this conversation, guys, just talking about like the most important things that you guys are paying attention to, uh, the contagion, the risk in the system. I want to hear how, obviously, Vance and Michael, I don't know how much you guys can talk about the fund and framework and just how you guys are like thinking about things right now. Santi, um, if you're still with us, I, I think you just dropped, but uh, just to hear how you're positioned right now, it sounded like, Santi, you didn't sleep much last night. I was messaging you, and it was probably around 2 or 3 or 4 in the morning last night for you. So I um, just want to hear I, how I you got. I like a baby. I just woke up, and I had a very bad feeling about how things were going, but uh, and here we are. I, was, I don't know what time zone you're on, because I was messaging you. It seemed like it was like 4 a.m. time, but can't tell. We lost track. Yeah. yeah, never trust it. Last night was like the, the third non-sleep night this year. What, what were the other two? I slept I slept great last night. <laughs> I, actually did, I was going to say, I did too. I slept like a baby. I had like what three, was the other two? Four of wine, you know, got to bed at like 10.30. It was pretty good. I mean, we also don't have any funds on FTX. So, like, I think that was probably most of it. That helps. Yeah. I do have some funds on FTX, just a little, and but I did sleep like a baby. No, no, I woke no. up. No, 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 you did have funds on FTX. <laughs> no, I did. I did. I did. Oh, I, I'll dude. Admit. <laughs> <laughs> Were you able to get those funds off FTX, Santi? No, no, they're still requested. I tweeted in the morning, requested, and and as soon as I saw, I felt like okay, it's going to be twenty four hours, and as soon as I like, I woke up at three in the morning, which was like the six hour mark, and I was like, still requested. Um, and and I didn't catch the the trick to like withdraw like in smaller increments. And I was talking mm-hmm. to you, uh, Jason, while all this was going down. I just had my spidey senses went off, and I was like, "Yeah, if this if I wake up and I don't get that nice confirmation email, then 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 there's yeah, you sound the alarm." And uh, the more I talked to a few people in the morning when I woke up, uh, I'm the east east, uh, east coast. Um, I sort of had a feeling that uh, things were not going to be as great as as most people thought they were. Santi texted me and said, uh, hey, are you having trouble pulling stuff off FTX? I said, I don't have anything on FTX, but we have some employees who have stuff on FTX. They're pulling stuff off. Santi goes, is it size? I say, Santi, our size is not your size, my friend. <laughs> Listen, like, to, to, to be fair, uh, yeah, I, it was most concerning while all this was going down is that they never tweeted. You know, like, obviously, Sam yeah. came out with his thread, like, the infamous thread that you don't want to see, right? Funds are safe. No, like once you see that, like it's like okay, deja vu all over again. We've seen this movie play out before. Uh, but you know, it's Sam, so we'll you know, it's not like Do Kwan, like steady lads. Um, but still, like it was, it was a little bit like uh, pretty concerning. And then, yeah, as soon as uh, 
it was like really bad how they manage it. Like it was like, I guess the lawyers took over comms, which is never a good thing. Uh, but never they never did. kind of alerted every private channel I was talking to. I was like, guys, are you having uh, trouble withdrawing funds? And they're like, no, no, we're, we're doing it. I'm like, how much? And it's like 5K, 10K, 20K. And you look on chain and then anything above 50K was not clearing. And I was like, yep, no, this is not good. <laughs> Let's give a little rundown. All right. So for folks, we're going to publish this on uh, on Empire and Bell Curve. So if you're listening uh, right now, we're recording this on a live stream on YouTube. But just a quick like 60 second TLDR uh, for those who don't know about FTX and, uh, and Alameda. Sam, right? Sam was at Jane Street, left in 2017, uh, did kind of a big arbitrage play. I think it was in Japan. Then starts Alameda, which be- quickly becomes like this huge, very successful trading firm, one of the largest uh, market making firms in all of crypto. In 2019, they're looking for a better exchange. At least this is the story. They go launch FTX in April of 2019. From the get-go, I'd say like pretty unclear how those two firms are connected. The trading firm that Sam started, he then put this guy Sam Trabuco in place. Sam left a couple of months ago, uh, put this woman, Carol, if you hear the name Carolyn uh, or Caroline, he put Caroline in place uh, once Sam left. Um, but it's been pretty unclear like how those two firms are connected. Binance, a lot of people don't realize this, was an early investor in FTX. Uh, so what ends up happening is FTX grows uh, pretty rapidly. They end up becoming the second or third largest exchange in crypto. SBF is on the cover of Fortune. The title's like the next Warren Buffett. Uh, Binance um, sold its stake and actually agreed to $2 billion of the buyout in FTT, which is, we'll, we'll get to that later about why that's important. So then Binance is basically holding this big uh, multi-billion dollar FTT bag, which is FTT's token that they use for trading fees. So anyways, what happens, This a lot of this actually kicked off with a Coindesk story. So um, on November 2nd, six days ago, uh, Coindesk published an article, Divisions in Sam Bankman-Fried's Crypto Empire Blur on his Trading Titans. It's a pretty damn long uh, title. Yeah, here. Alliteration over there. Basically, basically, the story uh, is written by this guy, Ian Allison, over at Coindesk, said, uh, just looked into the assets and the balance sheet of FTX and Alameda. And I think this is an important place to kick off. So maybe... Vance or Michael, can I ask one of you guys to just like give a summary of what what that CoinDesk article showed and like what what that kind of sparked in the market? So what it, what it showed, which was it felt like kind of like a coordinated campaign of some sort, um, you know, just because like all of these things were coming out at the same time was was a picture of Alameda's balance sheet and it was only a parcel sh- snapshot and it was old. So you know, you couldn't really tell what was going on. Um, at the same time, the rough contours were were pretty visible and and scary. They had like most of their, they had 10% of Solana. Like we've done a lot of venture deals. We've never seen anybody own 10% of a base layer. That was crazy. Um, you know, most of their assets were in FTT. It turns out they controlled most of the float. Um, you know, they had like Serum, they had all these things that were like down a lot. And, you know, the more I looked at the charts of like, you know, since the summer blow up till now, like there are these very obvious levels, FTT at 22 and Solana at 30, which are being like very clearly like defended for some reason. And I think what we're realizing now is that those assets were pledged as uh, collateral to for loans, you know, of which potentially blew up. You know, they also borrowed customer funds. You know, potentially we'll see, um, but it wasn't good. I would say would be the overall um, synopsis of it, and it, it came after the DCCPA. You know, him getting kind of like bashed by everyone in the industry. Then it was like this balance sheet stuff. And this was like a surprise to most people. And I do want to make two things clear. Number one, like feel awful for everyone who, you know, is potentially stuck, losing money, things like that. Um, I think the second thing is, you know, 
the sense of surprise to me is is a little bit uh, surprising. Um, like, let me give you a hypothetical scenario. Let me let's imagine a world where Brian Armstrong ran his own prop fund. It traded most of the volume on Coinbase Exchange. Um, you know, he was the biggest investor in the tokens that pumped the hardest during 2021 through this entity. Um, and he also borrowed customer funds. Like people would be immediately like red flags, red flags, red flags, whatever. Um, but for some reason, the Tom Brady, the effect of altruism, like the fluffy profiles in these magazines, like that kind of like made everyone docile and made, you know, it wasn't a threat. Um, but it turns out it was. And, and that's kind of where we are now. I think, I mean, we talked about this on Bell Curve last week, but it was, I thought it was pretty shocking when that, uh, I know it was a partial document or whatever, but I mean, I think we talked about, I kind of assumed with Alameda, based on where the market was, like if you looked at their balance sheet, it was going to be mostly cash, maybe some Bitcoin and some ETH, basically. Uh, and there's pretty safe trading going on. So I think the whole market kind of collectively looked at that. And, you know, there were a lot of question marks um, around like, is this really the best way to have $14 billion allocated? And then the next big shoe to drop uh, that I think a lot of people thought was pretty funky was uh, Caroline basically calling out that $22 target. And yep. maybe you guys are smarter than me. Maybe other participants in the market were smarter than me. But I think a lot of people interpreted that as saying, uh, you know, if you wanted to, if you actually thought FTT, if you wanted to accumulate no more of it, you would have just let it dump and then buy it on the dip. But the reason why you set out a price target like that, it's almost like central banking want to run, right? You, you tell the market what you want the price to be, and then you back up the truck to support that price level because there's, there's a reason for that. Um, and I think that's when the market started to kind of smell weakness. I mean, it, it reminds me of, uh, I think it was Zero Hedge, you know, the Twitter Zero Hedge was tweeting out literally the, the three arrows liquidation price on like June 22nd or something like that this year, you know, one of the other sleepless nights this year. At that moment, it was like, okay, this is going to happen. It's at that point, there's just too much interest. There's too many people involved. I mean, the other thing to, to keep in mind here is this is a slow moving train wreck. This is probably known for weeks, you know, the, the fact that it was moving against them. The fact that the, the balance sheet came out is probably testament to the fact that this was something that was going to happen. And it just happened a lot faster because the balance sheet came out and because of that the 22 price point, like all this stuff is, is not, you know, just happening in a vacuum. It, it's happening because of a reason. So, I, you know, it, it's unfortunate to see. I think <clears throat> the, other, the other thing Vance and I were talking about this morning was, you know, this is this is a, another stain on the track record of CFI, but DeFi is doing fine. And you know, this is another reason why transparent finance, you know, open permissionless uh, or open finance is you know valuable because you can actually see the flows. You know, we're talking about you know whether or not you're seeing the withdrawals actually get processed. You're you're talking about whether where the assets are, who's rehypothecating them. If you actually have a track record that lives on chain and everybody can see that. It's a huge advantage in the in the world of you know unregulated finance, you know centralized. Yeah. Let me take us back into the timeline here because I want to make sure that we we make <laughs> yeah. this entire timeline out. So actually, before Caroline tweeted out the twenty two dollars, let me take us to so the CoinDesk story mm -hmm. dropped on on November second. When someone like that publishes something, just like a look behind media, it's not like FTX didn't know that was coming. Uh, CoinDesk is a is a, is a good good uh, good media brand. They gave FTX heads up, so like they they must 
I'm sure they told FTX that this was going to drop. So Caroline, the real question is how CoinDesk got it. How CoinDesk got it. That's the, well, let's get that's, into that. A little. That's, yeah, that's, that's the, the real, real question. That's the real one. And how pissed is Barry that they released it because now there's a negative impact on Genesis. But that's the real one. Uh, a few notes. So Caroline Caroline tweeted this out. I'm, this is these All these tweets, there are four big tweets from November 6th. So first off, Caroline, who is the CEO or co-CEO of Alameda, tweets, a few notes on the balance sheet that has been circulating recently. One, that specific balance sheet is for a subset of our corporate entities. We have over $10 billion of assets that aren't reflected there. The balance sheet breaks out a few of our biggest long positions, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, given the tightening in the crypto credit space, we've returned most of our loans right now. So she says we've returned most of our loans right now. About an hour after that, CZ tweets out the big tweet that kicked a lot of this off. As part of Binance's exit from FTX equity last year, Binance received roughly $2.1 billion in BUSD and FTT. Due to recent revelations that have came to light, we have decided to liquidate any remaining FTT on our books. We're going to try to do this in a way that minimizes market impact. Due to market conditions and limited uh, liquidity, we expect this to take a few months. So basically, what, this is CZ what was the coming. Time? What was the time on that? <laughs> This was this was 11 a.m. on a on a 11 a.m. on a Sunday on a Sunday. So by really the way, minimizing by the market trades, you don't announce this on a Sunday because it's the least liquidity. So CZ, this is CZ basically saying I'm about to dump like two billion dollars of FTT. He's doing it on a Sunday morning. Um, now he says he's like, I want to do this in a way that minimizes the market impact. So then that's when Caroline responds, Hey CZ, if you're looking to minimize the market impact on your FTT sales. Alameda will ha happily buy it all from you today at 22. Then that's when CZ uh, tweets again, liquidating our FTT is just post-exit risk management learnings from Luna. We gave support before, but we won't pretend to make love after a divorce. We're not against anyone, but we won't support people who lobby against other industry players behind their backs. So now he's taking a jab, right? He's taking a jab at, at FTX. And this is when, to me, I was like, oh, okay, this is his moment. He's been waiting for this for years. He's going for the jugular here. That was my take when he sent that out. I'm curious, Santi, uh, I don't know if you have a, when you saw these tweets on, on Sunday, I'm curious what you what you thought about this. Well, I was running marathon and then I came back. <laughs> <laughs> came back in New York. I'm like, I was pretty tired. I'm looking at this stuff. I'm like, oh shit. I think I'm going to go to bed. And I'm like, no, no. Every time you try to go back, the crypto market just pulls you back in. <laughs> Anyways, I look at this and I'm like, yeah, well, uh, I immediately ping a few folks. I'm like, hey, how how credible is this? Uh, and then I, I um, uh, the first one was like, my immediate reaction was like, well, first of all, FTX has acquired a bunch of other folks. They have a, like, what's going to be the contagion if this thing actually goes down, particularly Genesis and a few other folks. Um, and I'm thinking, I mean, you know, you look at the price of FTT and, you're, and what you guys were saying before is like, okay, they, are they getting margin called? Uh, and if they are, then this can spiral out of control really quickly. And so, um, yeah, the, the tweet from Caroline was pretty telling. Um, and you're just kind of waiting uh, to break that 22 level. And and if it did, and, and it did, I think what it was like, you know, like 18 hours ago. And that's where I think things really kind of kicked in a high gear. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's... Uh, for me, it was... Uh, I, I, I unfortunately had a small amount of funds on FTX. Uh, I try to withdraw, um, you know, some decent size, I guess, um, yesterday uh, night. And then I was talking to you, Jason, about it. And it sounds like some withdrawals were being processed, but not some. And 
uh, as soon as I woke up this morning and saw that, you know, it was still processing, that's where I, I started to get uh, some really bad uh, kind of spidey senses. So, yeah. The and, question now, and the question now really is like, we saw so much contagion from three arrows, arguably it's still going on. Now the question, the two things that are on my mind are, okay, well, who's next? Genesis, like, like, Basically, FTX absorbed so much from the contagion, or we thought it did from the prior contagion, which was Luna and then Three Arrows. Um, and then, but that's now being put back front and center. Um, and then you have to question what's going to happen with Genesis and BlockFi and some other folks out there. Basically, any lender in crypto, most lenders in crypto have exposure. And so I think what you're seeing now, this massive sell off, because like, and Jason, maybe you want to come to this next, which is there was as soon as like the announcement was made by Sam and, and CC about the acquisition of FTX, um, you know, the market kind of did a, a bit of a relief rally and then it dumped really, really hard. And I think what you're seeing now is the early signs of just a massive run where people are being margin called and liquidated and it's going to get pretty ugly, I think. I want, I want to go to the contagion, right? So we were just on November 6th, which was a Sunday. It's really important to talk about the tweets on the 7th because there's one line from one Sam tweet that I think is going to be a key a key point. So that was all that was all on Sunday. So then on Monday, by the way, we're recording this at like 4 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday. Sam tweets out Monday morning, said, a competitor is trying to go after us with false rumors. Uh, FTX is fine. Assets are fine. Then he says, FTX has enough to cover all client holdings. Then this is the key line. So we don't invest any client assets, not even in treasuries. We've been processing all withdrawals and will continue to be. Uh, we're heavily regulated even when that slows us down. We have gap audits. We have over a billion dollars in excess cash. We have a long history of safeguarding client assets, blah, 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 blah. Um, and then he ends it with, I'd love it, CZ, if we could work together for this ecosystem. CZ um, then tweets out a little later. He's like, I was out with friends yesterday when the topic of whale alerts came up, following our principles, I decided to be transparent. Little did I know it was going to be the camel that broke, the straw that broke the camel's back. And then actually, I think the most interesting tweet of yesterday was when I saw this tweet from Arthur Hayes last night, it was out. Uh, he said, when you can lend money to the US government at close to 5% for one year, a lot of other investments cease to make sense. The crypto credit carnage will claim more victims. Bear Stearns equals Luna three arrows in Celsius, who's going to be Lehman? And when I saw that, I was like, Daddy Arthur knows Some, something's coming. Uh, and yeah. that's when that's when I think things really started to speak. So that, that, that led into the selling of that. That was all like, I just lay that up because like, that's the timeline pre-market absolutely nothing. I want to ask you a question, guys, because one thing that I noticed from the, the, the latest thread from Sam was around this idea that FTX US is fine, it seems like they are yeah. fully backed one to one. He, he's, he has a line there that says, you know, assets, you, you, you know, customer funds are backed one to one. We are processing withdrawals. Now, that to me feels like like a, a minor footnote in the prior statement, which probably so important. you know, it's like, OK, you're processing withdrawals. And now he's probably going to try to, like, say, well, I really meant to say that, you know, customer funds and I was referring to specifically about FTX US not the broader FTX, because it sounds to me like there is, uh, there obviously is a liquidity crunch. They are not processing withdrawals. And a lot of FTX non-US 
it sounds like they're using funds or, you know, because they can't process all these withdrawals. Or maybe it's a, like a mismatch of assets and liabilities and they have assets everywhere with a bunch of lenders and hot and cold storage, but they can't move them around as easily and they can't process withdrawals. So I'm curious to get your guys' take on that. <laughs> yeah. It begs the question, if you have to say that your assets are backed one-to-one, customer deposits are backed one-to-one, what assets are not backed one-to-one? And if you have to say that for FTS US, why is that not the case for FTS.com? It it almost feels like he's saying that he's admitting that like non-US FTX is not backed one-to-one. Exactly. There was, I think one of the things that accelerated this too, there was like a, the, the silence is deafening type effect where a lot of people began looking, right? Uh, kind of the on-chain sluice, for like where's FTX's cold wallet, right? Because uh, like you can kind of point to that for Binance or Coinbase, et cetera. And everyone was kind of like, well, where is the where is the FTX, uh, you know, cold storage wallet that that all these funds are supposedly held in and no one could kind of find it. And there was starting to be like this, this din, right? Growing about, hey, they could like very easily just stop all this market chatter and protect their position if they just pointed to this wallet. And the fact that they weren't doing that, um, I think probably increased the pressure on them and probably increased the, the speed of the withdrawals. I think that also probably led to speculation, right? This is not a confirmed thing, but the what people are speculating on right now is, was FTX essentially lending out, right? We're... we're either customer deposits or, or something like it being used to generate yield, basically, uh, on that platform. Uh, if that was the case, you know, there's total speculation, but that would be an enormous violation. I mean, this, this, this kind of reminds me of what was going on at the end of June and July of last of this year. Wow, feels like a year ago. Um, but when everybody was like, oh, wait, Andreessen just raised four and a half billion. You've got billions in, in the coffers. Like, where's the bid going to come from? You know, so, someone's going to come in at a thousand dollar ETH, and someone's going to buy up all that ETH. It didn't really happen because there mm-hmm. wasn't really a bid, and and it's kind of the same thing with the cold wallet for FTX. It's like, well, wait, no, they've got a cold wallet somewhere. I know, you know. Oh, sorry, it was in my left pocket, not my right pocket. You know, it, and and I think you know it's just not going to get there. The other thing that happened that you know it's it's been talked about on Twitter at least, but unsubstantiated, um, was that FTX was out trying to raise capital yesterday and yeah. and today. And to the tune of five to six billion dollars, which is a pretty huge hole when the last equity valuation that you had was what twenty eight and a half billion, you know, like twenty five percent of your company, you're trying to trying to fill that hole. And whether or not that's true, I, you know, we don't know. But if that is the case, then you know th- this could get a lot deeper than we think. Should we talk a little bit about the relationship between um, the different entities here? Like, there's FTX, there's FTX US, mm-hmm. and then there's Alameda. Which is, is kind of front and center to all this whole mess, I think, which is uh, the relationship between FTX and Alameda has always felt a bit contentious, uh, particularly one is a trading arm. And, you know, even though like they, they, it has been put into question in terms of the conflict of interest, if you're investing in particular, you know, venture deals and then Alameda is making a market on those. And uh, uh, so maybe if we can just cover that, I think it would be important. And then... Um, you know, what's going to happen to Alameda in this case, uh, given the Binance acquisition, if it goes through. Vance, so, Vance, can you, or Vance or Michael, can you guys take that? Because you guys trade, you guys trade against Alameda or, and or with Alameda, I would have to assume. Not with, not with. Again. Um, I mean, like, generally when you're trading crypto, you're trading against like four or five big market making firms. It's not like, you know, we seek them out and go to trade against them. Who, who is it? Alameda, Jump, Wintermute? Alameda, Jump, Wintermute, uh, like Full Fang, like a, like a few others. Um, but yeah, you know, they, it depends on the market, but yeah. 
yeah, it depends on the market. Um, and sorry, what was the question, Yano? Just like, can you, how, how do you, like how, before this, obviously they said that FTX and Alameda were very separate, but like, how have you as this like sophisticated crypto investor thought about the relationship between FTX and Alameda? Yeah, I mean, there was never any confirmed proof, but like Michael and I's intuition <laughs> was that uh, Alameda has been around for probably like four years since like 2018. And, and they used to be smaller. Um, and like, you know, there was around the moment that FTX launched, they got a lot bigger and, you know, like I'm, I'm not like a rocket scientist, but, um, it seemed like, you know, they were getting some source of external funds that was not available to the rest of the market makers. The rest of the market makers just were not growing at that same clip. And like, I think there has been some, the narrative was that like, it was like some freak gamma trade or like some freak, you know, DeFi farm that just like netted them a, a few, you know, billion dollars, but you know, like we did really well during DeFi summer. Like we weren't pulling like billions of dollars out of these yield farms. Like that just doesn't seem possible. Um, and so like we knew that something was wrong and also the way that their margin lending was set up was such that, you know, you could put stable coins on there you could like flip your lending switch to on. And like, there would just be like this instantaneous borrow. Like someone was borrowing these assets. It was very clear. Um, and, you know, it just seemed like the most logical point that it would be Alameda. Um, and so like, it was something somewhat of like an open secret. Like we didn't really have any like, you know, information or anything like that to confirm what we thought was happening, but we just didn't put funds on FTX. We didn't, you know, buy into any of the ecosystem coins. Um, we just kind of like stayed away. Um, and yeah, so like my, my theory is basically uh, the combination of like it was the whole setup was, you know, the Alameda balance sheet got released. Um, and it felt like they were going to survive that the DCCPA stuff got released and it felt like that they were going to survive that. And it even felt like they were going to survive uh, CZ market selling $500 million of FTT. Like Caroline told them that they could take him out of that, you know, at 22, no reason to not believe that. I think what really hurt them was when the bank run started. That to me was like the kind of the death blow uh, because, you know, that put stress on Alameda and like, you know, Alameda would have to, like they were funding uh, FTT, FTX deposits and withdrawals with the like Alameda hot wallets from KuCoin, like Alameda wallets that we knew of. And once that started to happen, it was like, you know, game over um, in my mind. But I really hope what didn't happen was that he tried to rescue Alameda to save FTX. That's like, I think, I think that's kind of the question. Like who got into trouble first? Who needed rescuing? Did he rescue Alameda with customer funds? Did he rescue FTX with Alameda funds? Like that, I feel like is going to be the crux of, you know, if and when this goes to court, what people talk about. Do you guys yeah. look at the, because, well, I think uh, if you look at, um, you know, tr them trying to defend FTT, if they're being margin called, whoever it is, if Alameda is being margin called or, or, FTX is being margin called because my understanding is that they, you know a lot of lenders have exposure and they were using FTX as collateral to fund their operations and so as soon as you start getting margin called at different levels, you're wondering well how are they how are they filling that collateral um, and where is that coming from? I hope it's not using customer funds, uh, but if they do did end up doing that as a kind of measure of last resort, then that's where it gets pretty bad. But again, I I, I don't. I don't know if that's true or not, but I hope it's not. 
I think the other the other thing to point out just as well about like kind of tracing Alameda's history as well. Um, again, a lot of this is kind of hearsay, but if you hear the way that it's described, right, usually from Sam, it's like, oh, we started out as this like very small operation. And it was kind of like at this time, they're taking advantage of the kimchi premium. There was, you know, Bitcoin and that was traded in the US uh, was very different in Japan or other exchanges and like kind of made money doing like old fashioned arbitrage. And, and that's how we got our start. Like. Um, but definitely by the end, Alameda was not necessarily seen uh, like that. They definitely, they were a very large, sophisticated fund that was, now it's clear, taking outsized risk. But there were a couple, like, there's even a difference between taking outside risks and maybe the allegation was engaging in some, like, sort of pump and dump type activity, right? There were, like, a couple couple assets that you can look up on on Twitter. Um, uh, you know, I don't want to sling any mud or, I mean, I don't know. Obviously, some pretty unethical stuff was going on, but... Uh, I mean, you, you can look there. You, you can look at, you know, Google Alameda on, on Twitter and some of these threads will come up. There have been a couple of people that have put them together. Uh, but, you know, I think it's been sort of known for a little while that some of the the trading and the activity they've engaged in like hasn't been 100% on the up and up. And I think that's also why probably people were more willing to jump on this when they sense weakness than than otherwise they would have been. Um, exactly. But I think it's important to point out that, you know, Alameda is a very different entity now than it was you know, when it started out or began. Like, so the, the kimchi premium, like origin story, like I have no idea if that's right or not, but like when I hear pieces of information like that, I'm kind of doing like three things. Number one, I'm like, okay, you made all your money from the kimchi premium. Cool. That's interesting. Like it shows that you're talented. I'm trying to read into like, you know, what might be between the lines. Like these guys are super aggressive. Like they're internationally based. Like they're willing to do anything to, you know, make money. The third thing I'm thinking about is like, why am I hearing this information? Hearing about it. Yeah. Like, do they want me to think something? Do I believe this to be true? What are the chances that you can pull out, like, you know, as much money as Alameda had from this, like, kimchi premium trade? Very low. And so, like, even that was kind of, like, a little suspect. Like, we knew people who did the kimchi premium trade. Maybe they made a million bucks. You know, maybe a couple million. Like, it wasn't that big of a moneymaker. So I mean, it just kind of was like another red flag, honestly. So one thing to double talk with the balance sheet, you know, in CoinDesk, like when that came out, I was reading it, you know, literally I was trying to interpret any second order effects, but I was also thinking like, why am I reading this? And I think oh, the why was like, you know, CZ's about to put the hammer down. So you think that CZ leaked this to CoinDesk? Who knows? Like yeah. it, it, stories like that don't end up in places like that by accident. It's not like some like person just like decided to you know give them this because they felt like it one day. There were some sort of yeah. Go for it. You got to wonder. One of the things that CZ said that's pretty interesting is, you know, we've we've supported this. It sounds like, you know, he knew that this was going on for a long time. As an investor in FTX, you have insight into how this is managed and operated, and you do diligence on that. And I think Binance does pretty thorough diligence on on what they you know in the things that they invest in so i gotta believe that he knew about this you gotta wonder how many has it been years and then he just chose this moment because you know you just get triggered by um you know some of the lobbying um efforts that uh sam over the years has gotten fairly involved in politics and and very vocal about regulation and was throwing mud on binance it seems and that triggered cz and then you know you set in motion uh, and you choose the right timing. And things are always to your point, man. So I agree, it's very coordinated. You look at Three Arrows and Luna, I mean, a lot of this stuff is coordinated. Uh, and so, um, yeah, it, it, you got to wonder, like, who else knew about this? Um, and, and how long has it been going on? 
and you just choose a perfect storm to, you know, you know, uh, shoot the. I have a um, feeling that I think CZ will go down as one of the best entrepreneurs of the last hundred years or, you know, ever maybe like he's, he's I think he's an incredible entrepreneur. Um, I have a feeling that CZ saw FTX as like this big investment and, you know, maybe a friend three years ago or four years ago when they were, when they were starting off. Uh, but once, once FT, I mean, FTX started to become competitive to Binance and I have a feeling that CZ over the last 18 months, or maybe even just since the bear market, we were one, we're exactly one year into this bear market. I have a feeling that someone who's as cutthroat and ruthless as CZ is saying, okay, at some point in this bear market, I'm going for the drug dealer. At some point, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to take FTX out. He has more insight into what FTX is doing than pretty much anyone else out, you know, out other than folks who actually work at FTX. And I think through this, I don't know who leaked this article, uh, this the, the info to CoinDesk, but I think CZ just saw this as an opportunity to go for the jugular. And here's what he was able to expose. He was able to expose a, a bunch of things, like, and it all is just this perfect storm. One, I think he exposed, or this all, maybe not CZ, this all exposed that Alameda and FTX were way more closely related and working more closely together than anyone realized. I think it uh, revealed that like FTT was probably propped up as collateral, right? Because you can use uh, FTT as collateral inside of FTX. I think it revealed that Alameda was more directionally in the hole than people realized. Like I think when people look at Alameda, they see this huge trading firm that makes a boatload of money. Maybe, I mean, their, their portfolio looked like a retail trader's portfolio. Like it wasn't this amazing portfolio. Uh, and then the fourth is that, which is the most important thing is that it's very possible that FTX was operating on this fractional reserve model, lending customer deposits back to Alameda, which is by far the most important of, the, of those four. But those are like my four takeaways as I think about what this is kind of exposed. 100% agree. The, the other thing that I was going to touch on when Vance was talking about the kimchi premium is let's just diagnose what that trade actually is. What that means is that you're buying spot coins, spot Bitcoin on one exchange and because there was lack of liquidity and lack of ability to get into the South Korean market, you literally had to have your own bank account. You had to be KYC'd with the South Korean exchange. You had to be able to get that to be able to trade Bitcoin in the South Korean exchange, which is trading at, at sometimes like 14% higher rates. So it's not like the most sophisticated trade. It's like buying and selling at the same time. And you're just moving money from one account to the other at a, at a premium of 14%. Whether or not they were able to extract the billions that they, you know, allude to being able to do is one thing. But to to your point on the balance sheet, you know, it does look like a retail trader's trade because the kimchi premium was also a retail trader's trade. It's not mm -hmm. that sophisticated. Uh, you know, can you kind of take us through the the end of the timeline here and where we're at? Uh, and I'd love to guys get your yeah, just I thoughts get on the contagion too. Or go yeah. ahead. Yeah. 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 Yeah, I mean, where, where we're at now is so uh, FTT started dumping last night. Um, what was happening is that uh, uh, Alameda was start basically FTT started falling late last night. Alameda started selling Seoul to keep, I think, I mean, I mean, I think this was what was happening. Alameda was started selling Solana to keep FTT above 22. Eventually, I don't know what happened. Maybe they ran out of Seoul or something, but basically it's just that $22, like it's not a peg, but like proverbial peg broke uh, and, and FTT just started completely tanking. Meanwhile, CZ was probably dumping FTT uh, as well. Market starts really dumping FTT. Uh, there starts to be, and then while that's happening, there starts to be obviously fear in FTT. People, more and more people start selling FTT. As that's happening, there starts to be a bank run on FTX saying, well, shit, if there's, if FTX is, uh, 
uh, kind of propped up by this FTT as well, then um, I got to get my money out, out of FTX. And so that like that just kicked off this huge spur of withdrawals. And what's uh, what's FTT at right now? 550. 550, yeah. down 76% today. So um, that, today. today. Post, today. Yeah, today. Yeah, exactly. Today. So um, Vance, what's uh, Vance, I'll throw this to you. What's your, as you sit here 5 p.m. on a Tuesday, what's the biggest thing when, you, when you're thinking about just like second order impact, the contagion of this? There's a bunch of directions we can go. Uh, impact on folks like the BlockFi's and Voyagers and Genesis's. There's the impact on the regulatory side of the world. There's the impact on just like, does this prolong the bear market? What's what's top of mind for you right now? Um. So I think, you know, top of mind is like Michael and I have spent the past, you know, however long since the top, basically like just like looking at all of the data for all of the protocols, seeing who's doing well, seeing who's do- who's not doing well, where the traction is like, and in an event like this, you know, what we should potentially buy. So, you know, that's kind of the first thing that we're thinking through is like, you know, we're not like running for the hills. We're just like buying more, you know, high quality, or at least we think high quality crypto assets. Um, so that's the first thing. Um, the second thing is, uh, you know, like when the Luna and three arrow stuff happened in the summer, there was kind of this period where, you know, like we weren't sure if the, like the monster was dead or just like hiding in the closet and everyone was just like waiting for like the coast to be clear. Mm-hmm. And that was like a palpable feeling of like, and I think like the most, uh, you know, like contagion and like, you know, is the coast clear, like those types of words. And, and, you know, my lawyer just texted me. Uh, none of this is financial advice. Uh, you know, if you are going to buy crypto, refer to your lawyer or broker or whoever does that. Um, but Frameworks lawyer despises us at this point. Yeah. <laughs> we, we have the best lawyer of all time, but unfortunately, he's a, he's a stickler. But um, yeah, so like, you know, things I'm thinking about, when is the contagion, you know, the coast is clear vibe going to be done? And I think that largely depends on the speed at which this deal comes together. And that's probably also something we should discuss at, at a certain point. Um, my sense is that it either closes in the next like 12 to 24 hours or, or it doesn't at all. Um, and really only crypto native investors can move this quickly. They're the only people in the world who can get diligence done and wire funds in 24 hours. Like, I think that is why probably a lot of the other people just didn't go for this deal. Like you'd have to imagine CZ is the absolute last person that SBF would want to engage with. Um, so like, you know, that's something I'm thinking about. When does it kind of end? When is that sense of like, is the coast of clear gone? Cause I think that weighs on the space from a sentiment perspective. Um, I'm thinking about a lot of people who have eight, nine figures stuck in FTX and, and what they do. Um, cause they're like technically creditors. And I, I think like my, my guess is that ever since the summer crypto credit has been super tight, like, you know, uh, Genesis, you know, whole new team, whole new underwriting standard Voyager's done. BlockFi's done. Uh, the Asian lenders are really dinged up from bad Bitcoin miner loans. So like there wasn't really any like credit to borrow, you know, at least from like our perspective. So I'm wondering if it's like more of the traditional financial institutions who've been lending to them. And that's something I think about. Um, then the last thing I think about is basically policy and, and what the narrative is for, hey, you know, that guy that was like, you know, in Washington aggressively talking to you and like telling that he's you know going to be the future of the industry and he's got all the regulations and stuff figured out. Like, turns out he's insolvent. They totally blew up. Like, yep, we know that midterms are today. We know that he was there last week are bad. But I think like the narrative here is that. Um, Jesus. He was texting me. Sorry. The narrative here is basically. C5 blew up again. You guys should regulate that. 
DeFi has no problems. It's actually done really well today. Nothing's broken. Ethereum's about to be deflationary. Um, so like, let's craft language around that. And I think like the political dynamics have also changed in Washington such that, you know, Sam is a huge democratic liberal donor. Um, when Republicans take over, like, you know, if they take over tonight, um, it's going to be a very different conversation. Whereas if the opposite had happened, like if the Democrats were like forced to deal with SBF and on the regulations and all that stuff, like, I just don't know how constructive that would be. It feels like the Republicans kind of just can kind of say like, he did that, you know, that C5, let's regulate that. There's more to carve out. Generally, they're more favorable to our D5 position as well. So, you know, I think people are freaking out, but I'm actually pretty positive. Um, well, but just waiting for that coast is clear feeling to be gone. Can we get, uh, so I want to dig into a whole bunch of those, but can we get a sense of like magnitude here? Um, just in, maybe in comparison, even to like three arrows and Celsius and Voyager going bust. I mean, hard. Uh, this is way bigger. No, yeah. I would say I would yeah. say smaller. I, I would say smaller as well. This is way smaller. I would really? say way way smaller. Oh really? I would really? Say I was thinking bigger. Yeah. No, the 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 largest loser in all of this is the equity holder of FTX yeah. because you know that. And what I'm assuming that customer deposits are actually probably going to be able to be resolved. It's just going to take time. And maybe there'll be some haircut. Frankly, if there isn't, if there is a haircut, that's going to be, you know, a, a major, major stain. But I think it, it actually is probably something that's just taking a long time to process. But I do think that, you know, the, the people that put in at 28 billion and, and you know, now it's going to be sold for pennies on the dollar. Like, that's a tough stain, but that's going to be contained to a certain small set of investors that were able to buy into that. FTT holders, obviously, those are going to be the ones. But it seems like Alameda had like 90% of the float there anyways. Like th this actually, I think it's pretty contained pretty quickly. The The bigger part was BlockFi, Voyager, Celsius. It, those were retail customers. And, and once again, this is assuming that retail is going to be fine and that people who have deposits are going to be fine, which is an assumption. But it's at least not a loan book. It's an exchange. Uh, and, and so I think this actually is a little bit easier than than those. All right, folks, this episode is brought to you by our friends at Avalanche and Ava Labs. They have just dropped a new crypto wallet called Core. You're going to be hearing a lot about it over the coming months. You can now be one of the first to try it out. Here's the reason I'm excited to partner with them on Empire. Right now, crypto wallets and browser extensions, they feel clunky. They feel non-intuitive. That's why Ava Labs built Core. It's a free non-custodial browser extension that gives Avalanche users a seamless and secure Web3 experience across the entire Avalanche ecosystem. Here are a few reasons to try Core. Here's what I'm experimenting with. Number one, Core has intuitive dashboards with a unified display for all of your NFT collections, all your crypto assets. You can execute asset swaps directly inside the wallet. It's a really nice experience. Uh, maybe you want to earn yield or borrow against your Bitcoin, uh, but you don't want to do it on one of those C5 platforms right now. Core's native bridging functionality makes it really easy to bridge your Bitcoin to Avalanche's robust DeFi ecosystem. Last but not least, Core makes on-ramping super easy. You can convert dollars to crypto right now using the MoonPay integration. Just takes a few clicks. Download Core today using the link in the show notes. It's really, really nice. Uh, if you are interested in the Avalanche ecosystem at all, you have to be using Core. Download Core using the link below. Now, let's get back to the show. Michael, I, I tend to agree with you, although that op, that operating assumption that you're making is one that does concern me, which is 
I'm thinking about all the exposure of major bar like lenders in the space, the genesis of the world and what's going to happen to them. Um, and, and obviously that has implications. Like, I guess the question is what happens to customer funds at BlockFi? Those would not be impacted. Assuming that those would not be impacted, right? And customer mm-hmm. funds at Genesis. You know, if Genesis is one of the larger lenders to Alameda, and let's assume that the the liabilities surpass the assets at this point, um, you know, I, I think you know Barry Silbert and and DCG probably going to be able to figure out a way to to plug that hole. Um, but it, it is something once again that's contained. It's not going to mm-hmm. be customer deposits that are that are in the void. Mm-hmm. I have a so, um... just to just to draw. Um... Just to draw a, a clean parallel in terms of numbers, um, I'm just trying to find the amount of Bitcoin that Doe had. But so what I remember of the Luna and Three Arrow stuff was he sold like 80,000 or something Bitcoin when it was like at 30K or, you know, like 22, 25K. Um, and he sold it within like 48 hours. And, you know, then uh, Celsius blew up after that. And then after that, like the big scary candle in June was when all of the um, all of the centralized OTC desks tried to clear their books on the same weekend. Like Michael, we were in New York. It was it was that Saturday. Um, I was always no remember sleep, that. Saturday. No sleep, no sleep. Number two that this year. I literally, no joke, thought I thought like the Chinese were like attacking us or something. Like I thought we were like at war, and, and like I, I was like googling news to see what was actually going on. But like that was the most amount of selling that I'd ever seen in like a short amount of time period, like ever. Like I don't think it's possible to reproduce that level of selling just with the le- the level of leverage in the system right now. And like it depends on who their creditors are. You know, if it's Genesis and they lent them, you know, some money, like uh, <laughs> they're not going to turn around and sell like a few yards of crypto. That's just like it's only going to make the situation worse. I really don't think this is going to be quite as bad. But you know. Yeah, it just depends. The lenders are done. I don't know. They're probably just completely toast. Yeah. I think uh, the game theory here is, do you think the the acquisition does go through? One one of the things that's been interesting is how BNB has performed um, since all of this happened. Uh, It's, you know, holding up fairly well. It's down 5%. But if you start looking at, you know, it's probably the best performing coin um, since, you know, over the last five days. Um, And... If you're a CZ, I guess, you know, to, I think the biggest, the thing that scares me the most, if this acquisition doesn't go through, then I think naturally users will be affected. Um, and, you know, they, they may not be made whole. And if that's the case, and I think that has a much bigger implication to the industry from a regulatory perspective. And again, anytime customers lose funds, it is probably the biggest setback that we can have as an industry. Um, and, and hopefully the acquisition goes through because if it does and, you know, withdrawals are at some point resuming it, it restores a lot of confidence. And I think from a regulatory perspective, I think it'll be the most positive thing. And also from just Binance market share, like, you know, I think, you know, if you're Binance at this point, you're, you're thinking about second, third order effects. And, you know, I think they can stand to, to really just continue to win a lot of market share um, just through the acquisition and also just by, being the preferred kind of exchange in the in the market. So, so keep in mind, one quick thing, you know, when when Sam went out and bought BlockFi, 
the major component of that deal, at least, and, and I, I actually do truly believe that, you know, he means well, it may, it may just be the case that he got over his skis a bit, but when they bought BlockFi, the major component of that was whether or not they were going to keep customer deposits whole. I do truly believe like that once again, this is probably the last place that Sam wanted to sell FTX to. And it probably was the only place that would be able to guarantee that you were able to have customer deposits whole. I, I do truly believe that he wants to make sure that that holds true. Uh, it, you're right, though, Santiago. It, if that doesn't hold, then we have a bigger issue. But I, I think that this is the solution to having that be true. I'm like 50-50 if this goes through. So on 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 the bear case for it not going through, uh, number one, they had Tiger, they had SoftBank, they had Tomasic, like the most deep-pocketed funds in the world. Look at this and say no ostensibly right because they went to they went to binance um and like cz you know if he really hates this guy and he has like this personal animus you know for him like this is the kill shot you drag out the liquidity crunch you renege on the deal last minute you know that's that's it um so that's like the bear case the bull case is that people know kind of who started this like it was cz and if he's in regulatory hot water, you know, anywhere, like people are just going to you know, be like, hey, like, you know, losing a bunch of customer deposits after you promise to backstop them, like that's not going to engender you to anybody. And I, I don't think he actually loses that much. That money comes to his platform. He, they traded on Binance. He gets the fees. It's very lucrative. Um, he'll make more than what he put in, you know, and, and 10 times that probably. If I how, much bad, think, how much do you think the acquisition happens for? What's the purchase price here? I don't even know if it's a purchase price thing. I think it's like a how much customer deposits do you need to backstop thing? Like the, it's like the people at FTX ostensibly yeah. will hate being run by BNB. So you're not really buying the employees or the human capital. Um, Binance has probably better regulatory standing in most countries. Like you're not buying any licenses either. Um, Binance has probably Sorry. better technology. Binance, Binance does not have better regulatory yeah. standing. Then, no, yeah, no. FT, FT, FTX no. definitely does. No, yeah. no, no. sure, but, it, but, but it's I, not like okay, like cool, we're buying this thing that's going to be all shiny and clean up our reputation. Like you're buying a defunct exchange. No, they're they're buying just the deposits, and, and the yeah. LTV of that is much higher than whatever the purchase price. It's going to probably be a taste yeah. of his own medicine, which is how he structured the BlockFi deal. Exactly. Yeah, contingent yeah. on some yeah. some sort that's of exactly stuff right. no one really knew, and that's how he's going to say he's like, hey, I'm just it's your playbook, so. I'm just it's like it, you you can go out and buy a bank you know that banks cost uh, like right. a, a just like a trust a community yeah, bank or something small like that you literally can buy them for like a million a million and a half dollars the problem is you take on the liabilities that the bank also has so you have to be able to backstop that as well and all the lawsuits and all and, the other and, like correct, everything correct. I, I think that's yeah. a that's a very bearish you know like probably doesn't get done you know side of the Vance, in in your bear case I guess what we haven't touched on what happens on there's a couple of entities, right? There's FTX, FTX US, which is being segregated, but the silent, the elephant in the room is Alameda. Okay. Well, like what happens there? That's the liability part. That's the like, that's the biggest risk piece of, of all this. And I don't have enough insight. CC probably does. If, if there's anyone at this point that has as good of insight as anyone is CZ of how the, the, the interconnectedness, if any, between uh, Alameda and FTX and how you disentangle that if possible. And that's, I think the only thing that can really derail this, this deal over the next, to your point, I don't know how many days, but as you do diligence and you understand that, that's the only thing that I, I think could meaningfully derail this. Uh, I, yeah. I, 
unfortunately, yeah, I think so here, you have to cut here's, off. Here's my cut. like big big question. Like um, last year's SBF was worth like 34, 35 billion. Um, you know, he pledged to put in five or like uh, like maybe up to like 15 billion in the Twitter deal, like something insane. Like my understanding was that he had like a few billion like sitting in his bank account and he could just roll with that whenever. And, you know, like the $500 million FTT sale was like the death shot, like the numbers, or at least like the order of magnitude of the numbers just like are not matching up. Like it, it just like, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense to me how you could lose all of your customer deposits and not be able to do withdrawals. This is the exact same thing as three arrows. Yeah, yeah. Didn't he back out from like a billion dollar um, commitment to the Democratic, like some, some like candidate of sorts? Or the next presidential election, he said he was going to like do a billion. And he's like, no, 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 I'm just kidding. I think that was more he just realized he was on the losing side. Like, you know, just like Democratic midterm yeah. shit. But like, where where is the, where, like, what am I missing? Like, is there, like, how how is that a material in a hole where he needs to sell the exchange? It feels I mean, like, it from, like once A to again, Z. It, it, once again, this is three arrows all over again. You would have thought that they had more capital or or dough. You know, like everybody is everybody is swimming without any pants on right now. And when the tide goes out, no pants party. What well, <laughs> bunch of naked swimmers? What happens? The, the only thing when I was just going back to this idea of how big this is, this impact will be relative to the other kind of, you know, three yeah. arrows and, and Luna. The only thing that I'm also thinking about is there are a lot of ecosystem funds around like like that have been funded by ftx sort of like tied to the hip to ftx again michael i do agree with your assessment it is putting aside the whole withdrawal situation and like user funds in ftx assuming that they're protected hopefully they are for my own sanity as well um i'll be fine gents you know um i'll continue to do empire i guess <laughs> i'll be here <laughs> wait 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 you're getting paid for this <laughs> no no definitely not no, no, i don't even get him i don't even get invited to the conference uh anyways um but I, i'm just i'm thinking about um it does feel like a lot of investors and funds are probably going to have to force sell they're going to get redemptions and th that obviously has i'm thinking of the this impact may not have it may not be like as acutely felt as perhaps three arrows but it will be very drawn out like i think when when three arrows and luna happened i thought like the bottom of the market was going to be a billion and i said okay like I, it feels to me like that's going to hold up fairly well and you've been kind of hovering around that and then I revisited my thesis and I said, no, just given the magnitude of, of consumer, like of loss of confidence in the system, because a lot of consumers and retail got hurt and the policy implications of that, I said, well, we could probably go a leg lower, like another 20, 25%. I'm thinking now you're at 900 ish. How low can you go? Like as a, as a, as an industry and, and all the funds that are going to have to liquidate for sell, that's going to take few months maybe a couple I, we, we, I have a so I don't think so at all like that like we had the come to Jesus talks with like some other funds in like the summer fall you know like that was the death blow mm. this is just like you're literally just beating up a dead body on the ground like there's yeah maybe the framework that I have for this is like you know how if you're going to do cuts at a company if you're going to do riffs you better just do it once and better do it deep because if you got to go back twice, then no one's going to know if you're actually on 
uh, like solid footing or not, and people are going to be worried about their jobs. That kind of feels like this to me because there was kind of like all these implosions, right? And there's this kind of idea. I mean, this is crypto, so it's never 100% on solid footing, right? But we thought, okay, maybe there was going to be like, you know, minor minor selling, like for Bitcoin or something like that. Maybe we get like one more, uh, you know, scary candle, but that's going to be it. This, I think this is scary, at least for me, or a little spooky because it's like Alameda, you know, regardless of your opinion of them, they sit at the heart of crypto markets, right? It's hard to get more uh, connected, right, than, than Alameda as a firm. So it's just it's just concerning, man. And frankly, it was concerning, you know, before they blew up that it was like that this was the level of risk that they were taking in a market like this. Right. Um, well, and it kind of just makes yeah. you think, what is everyone else doing? I've, I actually right. feel kind of a sense of uh, I don't want to get like emotional about it, but you know, my emotions are uh, a little, little, little spooked. But I mean, it'll be fine. But also just a little frustration. It's like, what were you yeah. thinking, dude? What were you thinking? This and this is it makes it you know Long-term it looks negative on management. me. Yeah, it's what it is. I mean, when you're, you feel you're smart and you're glorified, you believe it, and you start believing it more as people start glorifying you. And you got, you know, the crypto markets always come to humble you, and it is just shocking how people don't understand. Guys, all you need to do is there's this idea of Lindy effect. The longer you survive, the stronger, like the more confident. You know, you know who looks pretty good right now, Santi? It Coinbase. Coinbase is like Coinbase if I'm Coinbase, I'm well, like yeah, like like yeah. that's a good point. Like actually, shout out to. Certain exchanges have always made proof of reserves. A lot yeah. of the U.S. exchanges historically have been fairly like untouched and unscathed with all this. Coinbase, Kraken, both of them, to my knowledge, certainly Kraken has like does proof like on-chain proof of reserves. Binance has moved to this model too. Like that's I think the biggest positive now in, in all of this. Obviously, DeFi, Michael, and Vance, to your point. I truly believe this. I think it is important as an industry to really, you know, make the distinction. For, for especially policymakers, you know, CFI and DeFi are not the same thing. And it is just underscores the importance of transparent, open finance. No one ever knew. And and I guess like it will look really dumb in five years. It's like, guys, what the hell were you thinking? Right. They were not very forthcoming with their proof of reserves. They never gave us the wallet info. Like, I mean, I think like you can almost hear a congressman like grill, drilling like Sam's like, why didn't you ever publish this stuff when other exchanges like Kraken have been doing this forever. I think as an industry, we really needed like self-police. I've been saying it in the podcast over and over. The biggest risk in this industry is self-sabotage. Right. And it's incredible how dumb, sh- how much dumb shit continues to happen in this space. Um, I, I, actually, I actually don't. So I, I totally agree with that. I, I would say the, the one caveat is that uh, we have the tools. We are literally in the process of making all this stuff happen. It's just that it hasn't been pronounced yet. You know, this is this is like a, a vestige from 2017, 2018 era when you had FTX plus Alameda. And it, it just took five years for it to blow up, you know? And, and so I think, you know, who's the biggest loser? Well, obviously FTX shareholders. Once again, I think customer funds will probably be okay if this deal goes through. And then Alameda, you know, and that, what, what like two or three shareholders? Like this, this isn't going to be like a massive drawn out blown up, blow up. Yeah, I don't, I don't think so either. I, I mean, I it is dumb as you know, just super dumb that people do this, but it can, it can get to feel like video game money very easily. Um, and once you get to that point, you should probably take some size off, you know, go, go have a glass of water, maybe dial down the leverage a little bit. Take a walk <laughs> around the world. That's what this industry needs. 
More water. I want to move us into the next part of the conversation, talking about uh, actually Solana for a second. Like Sol, Sol has, so when Terra Luna blew up, like that killed a whole ecosystem. Uh, Sol has basically just been valued at having this perpetual bidder uh, in, in FTX and Alameda. Now that that goes away, I'm just curious, like what happens to the Sol ecosystem and DeFi on Sol and all these Sol game, gaming projects? What, what do you guys think? There, there's good builders on Sol, the Jito guys, the Solen guys, the, you know, some of the DeFi teams are pretty good. Um, games, they're probably getting like, you know, 20, 25% of all the games that we see just because they have like a super strong labs presence and BD team and stuff like that. This is all kind of like a function of your token price and how much people respect you. Uh, so it's like backwards looking in some degree, like you build up respect and, and confidence. Um, but you know, what happened today doesn't help them. Um, and they're going to need to find kind of like a new leader or a new vibe or, or just like a new center of gravity for that ecosystem. Cause you know, the sad part is that, you know, if Alameda FTX goes down, whatever, you know, they own 10% of the Solana supply. Um, and the investors that they had in that round were a bunch of like TradFi investors. And like, if you think they're going to hold, like, I have another, another thing to tell you. Um, I don't know. It just feels like that's going to be a pretty depressing place to be for at least the near term. But like Solana and, and that ecosystem, I do think has value, but it's just going to have to work through this like massive overhang of supply. Like, why do Michael and I, you know, like Ethereum? One of the reasons is it's been up 100x and it's been down 99%, like three or four times. Um, anyone who is going to sell has sold. We have an idea of who the ecosystem is. We know what the movement looks like. Um, you just are not able to have that level of confidence with these other ecosystems right now. So, so, so just to hit on this point and double click into it, uh, one of the things that we evaluate when we're talking about new investments, especially, you know, talking about a base layer type investment, for instance, in Solana or, or any other asset like that, is who holds it and what's the vesting, what's the unlock schedule and how much is left. And, you know, to Vance's point, just to double click in, you know, ETH is done unlocking, right? And, and so that is a huge, huge advantage that you have as a base layer because you don't have this overhang of 10% sitting over you constantly, potentially as a sell. It, it's just a, a huge component. And I, I mean, that that frankly could be the unwinding that we're talking about. Like what's the what's the other shoe to drop? That could be it. So, so I mean, two things, one good, one probably not as good. Uh, number one, ETH is about to go deflationary. So, you know, like the, the promise of this technology is real and it manifests at scale in the data. Number two, I don't know if you've seen the Silvergate price today, uh, the, the stock, no. it's down almost 20%. Yeah. So That's, like, I mean, that, that is a little concerning. Like, I don't know if there's anything behind it. Maybe it's just like the only stock that these hedge funds can short that's correlated to crypto, but um, just because they do a lot of business in crypto, but yeah, certainly not confidence inspiring. It, well, they Coinbase, recently had a management shakeup as well, right? Is Alan still there or no? CEO? I don't know, Alan. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Neither do I, but I, I did. I think it was last week that they, that they changed a few of their executive team. Um, as obviously a lot of things are, you know, fairly obvious in hindsight, but, um, I think the, the, you started to get some, again, some spidey senses, you know, Vance, Michael, we've been around, like we've seen these things play over and over. And I think you just develop an instinct in crypto of like, uh, you know, you always assume the worst. Uh, and if there's any probability, of like shit going down, you just you want to be there, the first one out, and 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 not take risks. 
Um, and then I guess like now you look back and you say, well, Sam Trabuco, right, who was at the the co-CEO of Alameda, left. Um, Michael, say the thing he, you want to say. A few what months did, ago. What did he know? <laughs> right. And then, and then who else left? It was the head of FTX US, right? The president of FTX Red US. One left to go spend more time with family and one left to pursue happiness. So, uh, so pretty right. good reasons. Anyways, look, I'm, I, correlation causation. I'm not. I'm not like implying things. I don't know this stuff, but like, you know, you almost have to think uh, at some point. Did this guy just make a lot of money and wanted to check out and be like, you know, go fishing for for a year, um, or or was there, or what we mentioned earlier in the pod? You know, it feels to me like there are certain people in the industry that knew how precarious the situation was, and then you just were kind of waiting, and then maybe it was just took, you know another one billionaire to piss off another billionaire to say, Hey, you know what? I've had enough of this crap. It, so it feels like this happened literally all of a sudden, you know, like we wake up this morning and boom, it's dead. It's possible that this is late in comparison to how everybody else was thinking about it, who had inside information and that everybody else was thinking, okay, this is going to happen maybe over the summer, maybe in the fall. But the fact that it's happening right now, you know, it took a tweet, it took something. I, it's possible that there that this has been happening, you know, so to say, for a long time. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these things just don't happen in isolation, right? Exactly. You don't take down a giant like this just by a tweet or just by, you know, like like selling five hundred million on FTT. That doesn't do it, folks. The tweet is it, just final nail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just the the nail in the coffin. Guys, how much do you think like this feel if if Binance was seen in a good light by regulators, this feels like game set match for Binance. I'm like, Binance is just they're gonna win. Uh, but I think the maybe counter argument to that is that they've they're viewed in pretty they're kind of like this regulatory pariah. Uh, like to I think now after this, they own 70% of the spot market, 70% of the derivatives market. They recently launched options. BUSD is gonna take off. Now uh is maybe you could argue this is bearish for proof of stake decentralization, right? This kind of push uh, puts more pressure on like liquid staking derivatives, actually. Exchanges that are the largest stakers. We just had two of the largest exchanges merge. Feels pretty obvious that um, Binance will probably release their own liquid staking product. Feels pretty obvious that BUSD usage will skyrocket. Is this like, is does it just feel like game, set, match for Binance right here? Mm. They have a long way to go. They have a long, long way, way to go. go. I mean... I kind of view the ecosystems as like Coinbase, Ethereum, and then Binance. Um, I do think CZ, you know, becomes probably the richest person in the world. Um, him and Elon probably end up like tied at some point. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just like a strategic masterstroke, like the perfectly placed kill shot at the exact right time with the exact right levers. Um, you just like, do not want to fuck with CZ. And I just like do not see anybody else really like throwing their hat in the ring to do that. So I think like the participant set in the long-term, you know, competitive set of crypto has like narrowed, um, it's Coinbase, it's Binance and it's ETH. So, um, so totally agree. Let me pose a different perspective. Not, not totally. You know, there, there's sort of two things happening at the same time. Now it's just Binance and Coinbase and ETH, yes, but really Binance and Coinbase in terms of spot. What the biggest size of prize that has yet to happen is derivatives and true, like actual transactions uh, with all the different types of products in the US. 
Mm-hmm. That is the that is the final shoe that has yet to hit. Uh, I think it's going to be Coinbase if I was to put put my bets on something because I don't know if Binance can be regulated at this point. Like it, it's kind of too far gone in a lot of ways. Just the the jurisdiction hopscotch that they've been playing, the launch of BNB, kind of everything they've been doing. It feels like they're moving in the direction of like anti regulation, but you know, if Coinbase can get there, there there is a chance that Coinbase and and the resurgence arc of Coinbase and Brian would be like he would be my best bet to potentially in like five years time, actually give it a go with Binance. Hmm. How much? Um, just touching on on one thing here in terms of of sentiment and industry perception. One of the things that is important to understand is you know FTX has been very visible in in the U.S. and you know you have. Uh, you know, obviously in a bunch of sponsorships and, uh, you know, Sam's presence, um, even though assuming, again, consumer deposits are, are not affected and those are restored, how much does this set us back, um, at least in the U.S., uh, you know, Michael Vance, you guys are, you know, both, all of you guys here are are in, the, in that market. I'm curious, how much do you think that this matters? Um, does FTX ever recover as a brand name? Um, or do people just kind of, it, it never bounces back and you just, you, you know, you think of Binance US going forward. Are you going to put assets back. on Celsius again? Yeah. It's just never totally, have, never will. <laughs> exactly. Totally, totally just works. Like it's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, I think the exchange literally gets renamed and it becomes like, a BlockFi style, this company doesn't exist anymore. Like it's it's over I mean, on the on the policy side. I don't I don't think it's that bad. It's going to take some explaining, and we're going to have to like go to DC and you know hopefully the midterms go our way. Um, but the nice part about having these like you can point to it things is you're basically like yeah, but that was that was that guy. And here's and here's why, and like here's the other part. Like the big problem with DC has been, you know. A few of them have been like C, like SP or CFI and DeFi being conflated is the same thing, and that was a story that was told by someone who was in CFI who wanted to regulate DeFi out of existence and who wanted all the regulations just to be basically around this like CFI concept. Now mm-hmm. it's like that CFI concept. Like, look how far that got you. Like, here's this other thing, and here's these new rules. So I don't think it's that negative, but we look super dumb right now. That's the problem. Like, we mm-hmm. have no. We have credibility, um, but we just need to build it back up. Um, I don't know if we talked about this uh, on last week's roundup, but do you, I don't know if you guys watched also like the Eric Voorhees versus SBF uh, type debate. Um, so we're, uh, shameless self-plug, but we're moving DAS to DC uh, moving forward. And so we've been like talking to a whole bunch of regulators and stuff there. And it might surprise you to know, like they all watched that debate um, and they saw something super different. Uh, than I think what a lot of people in crypto saw, frankly. Like to a letter, if you're sort of crypto and a crypto native, you're like, wow, Eric, did you see that thing about Ave and the email comparison? Like, why wow, I really boxed him into a corner and Sam seemed like he was on the defensive. And, you know, to summarize the other view of how that debate went, it's, wow, that guy was super idealistic, not realistic at all. Wow, you really just don't want to get into a debate with SBF. So I think it's a little bit of a question mark in terms of how the DC apparatus is going to react to this because Sam's basically been for better or worse, the one who's engaging with that, um, that set of stakeholders. So I don't know, I could see it kind of going one of two ways, which is, you know, they're like, wow, 
this guy was this guy was bad. Even the guy that we thought was good was bad. And this whole industry just sucks. We we just don't like this. Or they could look at it like SBF is kind of a a martyr and got took down by this. Like the one good regulated guy got took down by a unregulated exchange. And I don't think they think super favorably about Binance. Uh, let, let, let's be serious. FTX was unregulated as well. And, and you know, sure they had gap audits, but they were an unregulated exchange that did not provide access to U.S. customers. The the thing that I would say about what at least you know our limited experience in DC, which is actually at this point kind of substantial, what we have seen works is a very logic based argument where you have this and then that, and if you provide you know a reason for doing something, then it it definitely falls on ears that are willing to listen to it. If you have an idealistic perspective, you know we need to be you know this new industry. We need to provide you know financial inclusion. We need to do this or that. That never really plays in DC. Mm -hmm. And so when you have the ARID versus SBF argument, you ultimately have a conversation where, yes, it's like pie in the sky. Wouldn't it be amazing if, you know, that type of stuff, which probably resonates with all of us and resonates with entrepreneurs and resonates with mm -hmm. the industry, but it's not something that resonates with DC people. It is the logic-based discussions that ultimately have, you know, the, the teeth to be able to get something done. So it is a loss, I would say, for the industry, given that, you know, we took our we took our DC white knight off the table. But, you know, given that be that as it may, I think we do have to now move in the direction of, OK, what's the logic for DeFi? What's the logic for this or that? And use this as another example where DeFi wins and CFI is, you know, it has to be regulated. Like, I think, uh, again, Dreesen you know, like now super serious, like sending policy people to the Hill, like Paradigm, you know, formed their policy council and announced it last night. Like the, the whole DCCPA stuff is comparable to the infrastructure bill. I forget when that was last November or something, or maybe mm -hmm. two November ago. August of 2021. Right. That's when we all got super mad and super pissed. And like, how could they do this to us? And the DCCPA is like a similar catalyst, but legislation is now like right around the corner. It's not like us trying to fight some random inclusion into an omnibus bill. It's like us coming together to draft the legislation, which is going to be the future of this industry. Um, and I think like, you know, taking like a thousand foot perspective is that all this stuff sucks. That legislation is the only thing that matters. Not having SBF in the room, probably a positive on, on balance, having Andreessen, Paradigm, okay. whoever else there fighting for DeFi. That's yeah. super positive. I think that's spot on, Vance. I, I, it started to feel like Sam was, you know, for better or for worse, had too much, a lot of influence. Um, and I, you know, we both here believe in, in the power of DeFi. And, you know, he had a clear interest in in, in vilifying DeFi to some extent. And because it, it you know, he's a, he's a CeFi guy and, you know, he has interest in CeFi. And it's not just him, for, for a matter of fact. I, I've heard from other folks and policymakers that, you know, exchanges – whether they don't understand or pretend they don't understand DeFi, but they, they actually sling mud at DeFi because, you know, it it um, threatens their business model. And so I think now that, you know, we have more space to own the conversation uh, from funds, like you mentioned, and other folks that, you know, are invested in DeFi because you believe in the power of DeFi and you believe that it actually, you know, is the right thing. And 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 I think maybe this is a positive where we get to reclaim the conversation. And and, and now it's a group of entities that perhaps the most important thing now is to be very coordinated, to really control the narrative across the different organizations uh, and lobbying groups that are doing good work. It's just a matter of just really just making sure that the message is very clear. Yep. Yeah, you know, you just nailed it.
with that Arthur tweet. Hay- yeah, the Arthur. Yeah. What your so Arthur Hayes tweeted out said FTX equals Lehman. That wasn't the bottom. SPX hit six 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 in March of two thousand nine. Therefore, seventeen five BTC is at risk. How about Dem puts now? What What's your thought on this, Michael? Arthur's been uh, wrong like all year. Like, I just <laughs> I, don't, I don't care Arthur tweets. Um, yeah, but he's a good but he's a good writer. So uh, he's so a good blogger him, though. I love he's his a good stuff. blogger. He's like ten pages. Congrats, from sorry, but I'm not reading all of that. Um, <laughs> so, like, I don't really care what Arthur says. Um, I mean, like I'm just scrolling through Twitter as as uh, as I you know talk, but it seems like the hole is two billion, three billion. It's not six, I don't think. I don't know why he's trying to raise okay. six. That just is like absurd. Um, if it's two or three, that feels more manageable. Yeah. Um, well, like you can calculate the revenue that FTX has on a yearly basis by backing out of, of what they burn. Um, and the revenue is probably like a billion to a billion two or something like that. Probably lower now, probably like 500 million to a billion. But like if you can keep this thing going, which is going to be very difficult now that everyone's withdrawn. Like you can, you can pay that back, but I don't know. It also feels like all the confidence has been lost at this point. Michael, what do you think? Um, so I only read the first half of the tweet in the two seconds before I said anything. Um, but FTX equals Lehman, I think is accurate. The rest of it is not. I, I don't think that there's contagion. I don't think that there's a major fallout. We're, we're not like waiting for March 20, 2000. I think he's insinuating tether. Fu- he's, Tether yeah. in here. If I have to but, read, but he announced he announced put options last night. Like, <laughs> no, I mean, he let's, clearly let's, has let's a book, talk right? about let's talk about talking yeah. our book. You know? yeah, 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 no, no. I, here's the thing. Okay, here's a hypothetical, you guys. If Terra and 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 at Celsius hadn't happened, um, and three hours hadn't happened, would you have seen this bank run on FTX? Over the last forty-eight hours, yes. You think so? The magnitude of which is. I mean, it, it would have been the exact same thing as Celsius and Three Arrows and that whole thing in June. I think the difference, oh, though, the difference though, is that you would have had ETH at probably I don't know twenty-five hundred. So it'd be a very different story because the wealth effect of the rest of the industry would be larger. Mm-hmm. So it, I don't think it would be as disastrous. But this just right. uh, you know yeah. Again, I, I, I think a, a lot of this is is. You know, when you're running fractional reserve and you have the equity underpinning the confidence and value, then, you know, it's it's at a point where like FTX at one point was, you know, the in many in, in a lot of people's minds was like the star of the industry and the gold standard, if you will. And now, of course, because these two things have happened, everyone is on edge and, and, and these things can happen. And I, what my point is. I think a lot of people are now not taking any chances. And as soon as you felt that this was remotely similar to Celsius or, you know, three hour situation, you just, everyone was like, I'm not taking any chances. And so that obviously put a lot of strain on FDX. So um, back to the conversation, who else is next and who else is in a, in a, in a, in a very delicate position that's the only thing that's keeping me up. I do agree with you. Two billion, three billion, six billion. I think is certainly man- like it, it's manageable. I think like at this point, maybe you're like what you said earlier, which is probably fairly accurate, which is like you're shooting a dead body twice now. Like everyone's like pretty in a bad state. So like how bad can it go? Uh, but still, I mean, I think there are some other players out there that might be in a delicate position. 
I mean, yeah. to be honest, who's left? Genesis. <laughs> does Genesis does Genesis make it through all this, guys? I think they got to rename it or something like Benesis or some, some something else. We need a new definitely, brand. definitely don't put Vance in charge. Of put the little bass, <laughs> they got they got to do that big rebrand. Change it from Genesis to Benesis. <laughs> Change the name. I feel like the B um, is a much more pleasing sound. He's a great investor. Like he's not a marketing guy. But yeah, that's how you know he's a good investor. No, Vance is the meme lord. I know Vance is the meme lord. I don't know. what <laughs> I think they're just. I like those guys, but they're, yeah, I don't know if they were on the wrong end of this again, it's, it's kind of like that's three strikes in three months. Guys, um, I'm just going to say it. Like everyone believed that three arrows were the smartest guys. And then you look at their book and you're like, it's a retail. It looked like a retail <laughs> book. You're looking at Alameda's book and it looks like a retail book. I, I mean, you can't make this movie up. It's like, kimchi premium, kimchi premium. It's like, Buying and selling spot. I mean, like, I'll, I'll tell you a story. When I first met Sam, he was in, in Hong Kong and he hadn't even started uh, FTX. And then six months later, he went and built FTX, which is pretty impressive. Uh, nonetheless, um, I think like in many ways, like after my meeting, I said, OK, this guy's fairly smart. He's come from Jane Street. And I was wondering, it's like I'm not like that sophisticated. I'm like smooth brain. But like someone like that, if you're like an algo trader, like I'm left wondering, like why isn't his entire desk just leaving Jane Street and doing what he described as fairly simple strategies to like make a killing? You know, TradFi is pretty armed out. Even 14% is like you're like the best performing hedge fund in the street. <laughs> you come to crypto and you 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 are you know, you it's a fairly inefficient market still. Um, but yeah, I think like to I, some I, extent, yeah, you know, anyways. I will say trading is hard, especially in these markets. So I, I give them some benefit to that, but there's just a, a lot of, you know, at certain points in time, a lot of easy ways to make money. And it seems like they took the easy easy pass at the times when they had them. I don't know what they were doing in the meantime. It, it could be highly sophisticated. It could be interesting, but I do know for a fact that it is very, very hard to trade these markets. Yeah, like we, we did not come from Jane Street. We are, uh, you know, smart but not super super smart uh and like when i looked at the alameda balance sheet i was like expecting to be like t-bills and like exotic commodity exposure and it's like oh shit they're holding a lot of maps that's when i knew <laughs> when the maps exposure was meaningful it was it was over. yeah um you know, maybe we Maybe we can start to kind of wind down here. Love to maybe just get like closing thoughts uh, from each of you, like take it in whatever direction you want, like either like a, maybe an angle that we haven't discussed that you think people might be widely missing, like winners and losers outside of the obvious winner being, you know, CZ and the loser being SBF, like just like curious any, um, or even just like closing thoughts uh, just on this whole, whole debacle. I, I have one. Um I think that I, I have two actually. One is um, anytime you see someone who just like feels like a hero of an industry, uh, like Michael Saylor was this, like Doquan, like Suzu, now Sam, like it just happens time and time again. Like we we tend to, it's not just crypto, by the way, like industries tend to worship people, uh, especially people who rise really, really quickly. Um, and it's just like a cautionary tale over and over again. Um, when, whenever you see people going, you know, front page news, whenever you see people on the cover of magazines, like 
there's usually there some sometimes people fly too close to the sun, um, and it's just like it's a very again sailor dokon like suzu. We keep, we keep seeing it, so it's just a cautionary tale. That's that's the first thing. The second thing is um. I know a lot of found. So the reason I thought this was bigger news than like Terra, Luna, all the, all those blowups is um, obviously people got like retail got killed on that, and there were some funds that we know that got killed on that. But like if you were in the you were either kind of like in the Terra ecosystem or you weren't in the Terra ecosystem, uh, a lot of people touch FTX in one way or another. And um, I know a lot of funds who use FTX, and I know a lot of actually startups, unfortunately, who have put their customer funds. Who have put like their USDC, for example, they raised in USDC, they raised like eight million a Series A, and they've got like six million left, and they just hold it on like an FTX institutional account. And this is a real fucking bummer. If the, if what happens here, if FTX and Alameda getting offside, kill a bunch of great entrepreneurs and startups in the same way that uh, Sue and Kyle uh, killed a bunch of great startups because of their like because they told startups they would give them 8% on their treasury. So I just, I feel for all the, I got messaged by like three different founders today who, who are in that situation. I just feel for those folks. So that's my take. Uh, I was going to say basically the exact same two things, which is uh, they just get reminded of Icarus every single time and time again in, in crypto. And, you know, you, you don't ever want to be so out there and bombastic that you can basically like, what's going to happen with all of the, the FTX media? You know, all of those billboards, all of those, you know, posters everywhere like that, that's going to feel tough. And, and I think you just got to be careful about being too fast too soon. Um, so that was number one. And, and number two is I, I think a lot of this analysis, a lot of the conversation that we've had is highly dependent on what happens to customer funds. Basically, mm-hmm. all of the analysis goes out the window if we're talking about a loss in customer funds. So that that I think is really going to be the the like the next big thing to figure out. Yep. Um, but like, yeah, I mean, it sucks. Uh, we'll be back. It's not going to be forever. You know, we're just in like temporary, like you know, PR jail. And when we're obviously going to help, you know, break ourselves out of that. Um, echo everything Yano and, and Michael said. Uh, I mean, the other stuff that comes to mind are like the startups to your point, like Aptos um, and like the really big, like really aggressive base layer investments they made. Um, Like those are all subject to, you know, the courts deciding what to do with them, auctions, for selling. Uh, I would just, you know, be careful around the assets that are still part of their collateral base because those eventually will have some sort of, you know, uh, just fight over them, I guess. But yeah, you know, regrettable. We're going to be fine. Um, life goes on. Yeah, I would definitely agree with everything that's been said here. Um, you know, every time you feel like it can't get any worse, uh, well, it has felt like it continues to be. But, you know, in many ways, it is it is clearing up. I think the most important point, one of the most important points that was said here, I think it was you, Vance, or, or Michael, this is from a legacy era of like 2017 where DeFi didn't exist. And, you know, you're seeing the collapse of all of that. And in many ways, you know, you have to go through this process of really just, you know, things that crypto is a very efficient market. And I think it exposes things over time because, and there are people that are seeing on-chain stuff and and you're able to, you know, exploit it. I mean, it's a very adversarial environment. And I say that in a good way in the sense that, you know, a lot of these 
things that shouldn't exist are ceasing to exist much faster than I would have ever thought. And, you know, the positive of all that, again, hope it sucks that customer funds are lost. That's the worst thing. And I think that should always be the number one priority. Um, and you should never play with customer funds, you know, especially in an industry that's super volatile. You know, it doesn't matter if you can move collateral fairly quickly, you know, just don't play with leverage, kids. Not in this industry, because what you want to do mm. at this point is surviving. And, you know, it doesn't it doesn't pay to take that kind of risk. Um, you know, it sucks to be right. on. It sucks that you're right on the thesis, but wrong in the execution. And the worst thing that you can do, I've learned this the hard way, March 2020, you know, is just playing with leverage. Uh, you know, it's, uh, you know. <laughs> it doesn't allow you to have a clear mind just think about how this industry is going to be and be a builder. Like, honestly, just, you know, there's a lot of things that I think the takeaway, there's a lot of opportunities to get involved in crypto. You know, there's going to be a huge undertaking on controlling the narrative and, you know, we need better people that are, you know, not just engineers, but there's a big opportunity uh, for people to step up and, and, and help the industry because there's clear gaps, right? In, in communications, legal, accounting, like basically every function that, you know, it's not just engineers. So this is a good opportunity. You know, we'll, we'll come out of this stronger. Uh, but um, yeah, uh, hopefully yeah. we consume customer funds are protected and, and honored. Yeah. yeah. Mike, any last thoughts? As we... Sorry, just one before Mike goes, Genesis yes. just tweeted that they have no exposure to uh, nice. So that's good. That's you know, good. Less than a 1% chance or no percent chance? <laughs> that's what people are saying today. Uh, I have a, I had a, I had a thought actually just listening to you, Santiago there, there was a, um, Jason, you might remember we, Jason and I, when we were like pre blockworks really being anything, we were sitting in this, I think we even had our full-time jobs. We were sitting in this room with this guy who was potentially going to help us or do something and Give us a bunch of advice. But one thing I do remember, actually, we were scheming like, how are we going to be different from Coindesk or the other media outlets that exist? And he said this thing is like, maybe you guys just need to survive and stick it out. And honestly, that ended up being some of the best advice anyone has ever given us uh, when it comes to business in general. Yeah. And this is just a marathon. It's not a sprint. And I will say, maybe to do one concrete thing, I've never really... You know, when you're looking at the exchange landscape, I've always liked Kraken, but I've never really understood necessarily. I was like, where do they play in the ecosystem? Maybe they just like survived, man. And they just, you know, they kind of stuck it out. They built this great brand. They did the proof of reserves things before other people did it. Hugely beneficial, I think, to the ones that kind of stuck it out. And Kraken basically put themselves in the group that stuck it out. And I think they'll be big beneficiaries. That's a great point. Great point. Awesome. Well, thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. Uh, if you missed the beginning of this conversation, you can listen to it on Empire and Bell Curve feeds. Just find it in Spotify and Apple, and we will see you guys on the other side. Cheers, <laughs> Thank you, folks. A lot of this. <laughs>